Well, good evening, church. Welcome. And uh, a bit of a different study that I want to work through tonight. Two biblical truths. Destroying the foundations of racism. There are three things that make this topic, this message, difficult for me. The difficulties don't arise from uh, any lack of conviction about the two foundational truths from the Word that I'm going to deal with. I mean, I have lots of failures and weaknesses as a preacher, but I have never ever doubted either the reliability of the truth of God's Word nor its effectiveness in terms of accomplishing what nothing else on earth can accomplish. So, so God's Word is always true. By that I mean it is true in everything it says, even if nobody on earth agreed with what it said. It is always true. And God's Word is always functionally powerful. And by that I mean it's more than a textbook with information about God. It's living truth. It's active truth. So the problem doesn't lie there. There are three things that make this teaching a challenge to me. Uh, first, I have rarely experienced racism from the receiving end. I didn't say never, but certainly rarely. Now that, that doesn't, I hope, prevent me from seeing the evil of racism. I've never had an abortion, but I see the wickedness in it. But it does make it harder for me to relate to the pain of racism from the receiving end. That's the first thing that makes it hard for me. Second, from the title of this message, Two Biblical Truths Destroying the Foundations of Racism, from that title, some might conclude that these two truths that we're going to look at from God's Word, they destroy the foundations of racism automatically. So these truths, I fear, may fall on our ears and minds too lightly. I mean, agreeing with truths from God's Word, any truths, changes almost nothing. So the two truths that we're going to be studying, they need to be, they need to be breathed in. They need to be digested. They need to be constantly regurgitated, if you will, brought back and applied. So, so we all need to daily behold ourselves in the mirror provided by these truths. So that's the second fear. Third, shamefully I think, it's easy for many of us to feel we would apply these truths to our lives if they applied to us. But unfortunately, Pastor Don, we're not a racist church. That might be the hardest hurdle of all to cross in our collective understanding, and, I'm, and I'm, I need to come back to that important misconception, because while all sin is wicked, some sins hide better than others. And so here I am, 
front of you all, at least virtually, approaching these texts with a lot more than my usual uh, feelings of trepidation and inadequacy. I mean, the Holy Spirit has to come. The two biblical truths, able to destroy, I said able to destroy, the foundations of racism are, first, the common root of original sin that resides in every human heart, and, second, the common unity in Christ that has become the actual physical identity of every member of Christ's church. So the trick, of course, the trick, of course, is for people like me to, to hear these truths like I haven't heard them before. Um, here's what I'm convinced of. Rehearing truth is always a greater test of discipleship than just hearing truth. Let me say that again. Rehearing truth is always a greater test of discipleship than merely hearing truth. And so we're going to look at these two biblical truths that can destroy the foundations of racism. Let's just pray. Oh, how we know, how I know, that no human words will get everything right, will say everything perfectly. Nothing I say will be incapable of being misunderstood or misapplied. And so, Lord Jesus, come in all of my weakness and help us all to just hear what you would say to your church as you speak through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's the two truths. One, every human being gathering in Cedarview Community Church is a fallen human being who walks in the residue of the sinful nature inherited from the fall of Adam. That's a, that's a mouthful. I mean, theologians call this original sin, and it's real. Anyone who has waited with a broken heart through Romans chapter 7 will have had his or her eyes open to see that even as we follow Christ, we have another side in us that doesn't die easily. For, for all who doubt my words, let, let me remind you. You say, oh, no, no, Pastor Don, we're saved. We have a new nature. And you're right. But if you doubt what I just said about about the lingering effect of original sin. Let me remind you that we are clearly told God's timetable for the final removal of all that inclines my heart towards sin in this world. Very important words, 1 John 3, 2 and 3. The Apostle John is an old man now in his 90s. Dear friends, we are God's children now. That's us, Christians. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. There's a not yet. If I was underlining, I'd, I'd underline not yet. We know that when he, that's Jesus, when he appears, when's he going to appear? Well, that's, that's when he comes, when he comes again, his second coming. 
we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him. So physically, with our eyes, we will see him as he is. And then he says, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, so verse 3 follows in sequence verse 2. In other words, the way we purify ourselves begins with an awareness that we carry more of our fallen nature around than we usually give attention to. That's incredibly relevant when we're considering the sin of racism in a nice church like Cedarview. So, so the Spirit, here, here's what I see in those, in those verses. The Spirit does His deepest work as our awareness of unexamined sins deepens. That's how the Spirit does His deepest work. In other words, not seeing this as a big issue is not a good sign. So, so here's my ground zero text for this first point about our common identity as carriers of original sin. I get it in Romans 3, 22 and 23. He talks about the righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short. All, all, everyone. Fall short of the glory of God. Now that, that's an incredibly humbling text for someone like me. So, so when I read those well-known words, here's how I think I'm supposed to process them. I'm supposed to say to myself, Don, apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, Don Horbin falls as far short of God's glory as any other person who has ever drawn breath on planet Earth. So in terms of my own merit, that's what I'm talking about. In terms of my own merit, I'm no naturally closer to God than the worst human being who has ever drawn breath. That's where I am. So, so this means, we need to think here, this means there's a different starting point for God's grace in my heart than I might carelessly imagine. It's not just my surface deeds that grace needs to reach. It's the inner recesses of my own heart that haven't yet been expressed or exposed, perhaps not even examined. It, it's the frequently ignored concept that I only love God as much as the person I dislike the most. I only love God as much as the person I dislike the most. Let me say it this way. I'm trying hard to reach for the right words. Bear with me. I'm, I am closer to Christ when I overestimate my potential for sin than when I underestimate it. This applies to all Christians and all sins. Of course, 
but it's especially relevant to people like me and a church like ours when we're talking about the sin of racism. There may well be people who at this point would say to me, Pastor Don, I agree with what you're saying at every point, and I've honestly, prayerfully searched my heart, and I don't believe I'm racist in any way. And I would say if that's true, that's wonderful. I mean, that is good news. God's transforming grace is deep and powerful indeed, but your work still isn't done. If that's you, your work still isn't done. Help others grow in the same way. You certainly aren't called to be everyone's judge, but let your life, let your words, let your example, your actions, let them point others in the right direction. That's your calling. And there's one, one more closing thing I want to say under this first biblical truth about our walking in original sin. And this one, I wish I didn't have to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But for all who feel the pain of racism from the receiving side, there's still an application of this truth. It's a a painful touch point for you, I'm sure. But unfortunately, this first point that we all walk, this joint fellowship of, of sinful people, it means that in the body of Christ... And I, I, I break as I say it that you, you may be called upon to a high, high, high level of patience going the second mile for, with some in the church. I think there are people who are, I call it, racist ugly. People who are racist ugly by intention. But I think there are also some who are racist by by blindness, thoughtlessness, carelessness. We have to be patient with sin carriers. I wish I could tell you it was different with racism. I wish I could tell you you won't ever encounter that. But, but somehow in the depths of your heart, recognize, recognize that we all have the need to grow deeper and deeper in Christ-likeness. The second truth. I said there were two truths. Here's the second. The deepest source of identity for every Christian in Cedarview Community Church is permanently changed from what it used to be. This is huge. By that I mean I, I am no longer defined primarily by my relationship as husband to Rini. I mean, that precious part of my earthly identity is temporary, and one day it will end. That's equally true of my identity as father to my two daughters. But I was given a new identity when I came to Christ that will define who I am forever. It will outlast every other physical trait marking my earthly life. It isn't less real than my other physical identities. It's more real. 
This identity in Christ, it transcends everything that is temporary, that is marked by race or marked by gender. It's bigger, more defining than anything else about me. We are together, brothers and sisters, in Christ. And that's more than just the way you address a person in church when you forgot their name. Oh, hi, brother so-and-so. It's an actual identity. It's an actual reality. Here's, here's what the Bible says. I hope you have a Bible. Ephesians 2, 13 to 19. I'm going to read this right through, okay? Follow along. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's going to be talking about Jew and Gentile here. There wasn't a bigger division on earth. You who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, made both groups one, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, it's his death on the cross, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Two biblical truths destroying the foundations of racism. 17. He came and proclaimed good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, speaking to everybody, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household. Now that's just way too much for one study there. But the unifying theme is this deeply entrenched division between Jew and Gentile. It's been erased in Jesus Christ. That's the main point. I don't suppose there's anything here we don't already know. Christ has taken down this long-standing wall of division. So, but, so what's Paul getting at? And what does it have to do with us? I think it has a lot to do with today's church. Paul's point is this. There aren't two separate tracks to God. One for Jews, one for Gentiles. Paul's whole point is there's only one track to God and one family on that track. One track to God, one family on that track. And, and here's something that's easily missed. Notice carefully the wording of that 13th verse where it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Don't miss what he's saying. That being brought near isn't just talking about being brought near to God. It's there. That's in the context. But it's bigger than that. It means these people who were far apart from each other have been brought near as they're brought near to God. It can't help but be that way. There is no getting near, not anywhere near, to God without being brought near near to each other. It can't be done. The new identity that's created, 
It isn't just religious. It isn't just figurative. It isn't just symbolic. It's as real as Jesus' resurrected body is as real. It's as real as, as your eyes and your toes and your ears. It's as real as that. Notice Paul says we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There. Paul is describing spiritual genetics in one spirit. We have access in one spirit because we all have the same Father. And we're fellow citizens, 19. Fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household. And what I want to leave saying is this, that, that some truths require constant, deep, spiritual awareness. Knowing the truth is fairly easy, and it's a necessary step to change, but, but hearing these truths in a, in a, a manner of transformation it needs to be a matter of transformative prayer. Lord, it may take time. It will certainly take patience and much humility. It will take the work of a vivid spiritual imagination. But may your work be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's beloved children, brothers and sisters, said... Amen. And so, Jesus, let your Holy Spirit take the truth of these words, imperfectly spoken, I'm sure, but still, but still with enough rootage in your word that your Holy Spirit can do something with them. Do it in my heart, do it in our hearts. To him who has redeemed us by his blood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless the church. Stay devoted to the word and say it out loud. Love one another. Amen.